welcome to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. If you got your Bibles this morning, I want you to find the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 13, somebody told me as I was walking up here to the first service, they said, Pastor, are we going to be in Nehemiah today? I said, yes, we are. They said, you know what, Pastor, I think we've been in Nehemiah for 10 years. <laughs> it's not been quite 10 years, but it has been 20 messages. And I told you last week that this week would be the last week in the book of Nehemiah, and I was not honest with you about that. And I'll tell you why. I had planned to preach the rest of the book of Nehemiah this morning, but as I was studying this week, I realized that there's just too much here to gloss over. And I ran long last week, and I promised the first service I would get them out on time, and if I had tried to preach the rest of the chapter, there's no way we would have finished on time. But I don't have anybody waiting at the 1030 service, so maybe we just get it all and y'all can take off next week. I'm just kidding. Nehemiah chapter 13, those of you that have been here, we've just been walking through the book of Nehemiah verse by verse. Today we find ourselves in the 13th chapter in verse 15. Our series has been titled Against All Odds. And you don't need a long review of where we are. You, you've heard it for 10 years. <laughs> but the people of God have returned from 70 years of Babylonian captivity. They've rebuilt the temple. They reestablished proper temple worship. They've restored the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And Ezra and Nehemiah have led the people in a wonderful move of God. And the people of God, after those 70 years of captivity, have come back and they've begun to have life again. And God's doing a great work and they're experiencing revival. The scriptures have become a significant part of their daily life. And if you're ever going to experience true revival, the scriptures are going to have to become a part of your daily life. They're observing the feasts and the festivals that God had commanded them to. They're living lives now that are close and clean before the Lord. And we saw last week that Nehemiah, in the midst of all of that revival, left Jerusalem because he had been given a certain timetable by King Artaxerxes that he could stay in Jerusalem and he had to go back to Babylon or Persia, if you will. He goes back and he sees King Artaxerxes. He's there for some period of time. There's much debate about how long Nehemiah stayed there in Persia or Babylon. But when we pick up chapter 13, Nehemiah has left Babylon. He has made his way back to Jerusalem. And as we saw last week, he sees some things that concern him because the people had begun to drift away from the commands of God. They had begun to do some of the things they had done prior to even going into Babylonian captivity and they were embracing sin and they were living lives of disobedience. You'll remember the first thing we saw last week is they did not separate themselves from the unbelieving Ammonites and the Moabites. They had been clearly commanded to separate themselves from these pagan people and they did not do it. They thought they had a better idea. And God said, no, your better idea 
is only sin is what your better idea is. Then they invited Tobiah, who was an Ammonite, who was a vowed enemy to the people of God and God himself. They invited him in and created him a chamber where he could live inside the temple. They moved out all of the things that were supposed to be sacrificed and allowed him to move in and have this plush, cush place inside the temple. Nehemiah comes back and sees that and he starts cleaning house. And he says, you're not going to live like this because God has commanded you to live a life of purity. God has given you a clear instruction manual on how you are to live. And Nehemiah is addressing the drift that has happened. But as we come to our passage for today, beginning in verse 15, we're going to find out that the drift is not over. It's as if the people were trying to live as close to sin as they could possibly get, yet call themselves good people of God. I want to get as close as I can get to sin and still not be in sin. That's the life that they're living. So this morning, I want to preach on this subject, the wall of compromise. The wall of compromise. Now, I'm a pastor, I'm a human being, I got feelings just like everybody else does. And when I see a room this full of people, I tell you what I wanna do, my, my instinct from a humanist standpoint is to preach some sugar stick about how good Jesus is and we're gonna win in the end. That's what, it make everybody feel good walking out the door, that's what I'd love to do in my flesh. But that ain't the text that's been assigned to us today. So if this is your first time, I ain't usually this mad about it. <laughs> but these folks find themselves embracing sin and Nehemiah's got to deal with it. And if we're going to preach the whole counsel of God, then you got to just preach what comes next. Amen? And so here's what we're going to do. You have just entered a non-judgmental zone. Because every one of us is messed up. And if God puts his finger on something in your life that you've begun to slide a little bit on, I'd go ahead and slide back toward him today. Because if you continue that slide, you will soon find yourself completely embracing something you never imagined you would embrace. So let's consider this morning the wall of compromise. Let's stand together and read God's word beginning in verse 15 of Nehemiah 13. If you're there, say amen. amen. In those days saw I Judah, saw I in Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath, bringing in sheaves and lading donkeys, as also wine, grapes, figs, and all manner of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. There dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish and all manner of ware, and sold on the Sabbath under the children of Judah in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do, and you profane the Sabbath? Did not your fathers thus, and did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet you bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. 
It came to pass when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath. I, this is Nehemiah, said, I commanded that the gates be shut, charged that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. Some of my servants set I at the gate, and there should be no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and sellers of all kind of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. Then I testified against them and said to them, listen to what Nehemiah said to these that are, are, are right close to, they've gotten as close to the wall of compromise as they can get. Some on the outside, some on the inside. The one on the outside are tempting those on the inside. Here's what Nehemiah had to say to them. Why lodge ye about the wall? If you do so again, I'm going to lay hands on you. Could you imagine your preacher coming to your house and saying, I see you drunk at Applebee's again, and I'm going to lay hands on you. Can you imagine that? I'm not going to just show up, but I'm bringing somebody with me. Jared's coming with me. Amen. Yes. I, I understand for all of you Bible scholars, I understand that what Nehemiah is really saying there, that I will arrest you. But that don't preach near as good as saying I'll just lay hands on you. Amen. So we're just going to go with that here at Mount Pisgah. All right. <laughs> okay. I would just... Verse 22, I commanded the Levites. Well, let me back up to that. After he told him, if, if you do this again, I'm going to lay hands on you. Watch what it says. From that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. That was it. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves. They should come, keep the gate, sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, oh my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. Lord Jesus, touch the preaching of your word now as our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Many commentators and preachers that have preached through this passage have referred to this chapter as being a chapter of compromise. And compromise can be a good thing when there are two countries trying to find a peace agreement and they compromise on certain things. However, compromise is never a good thing when it involves embracing a clear violation of the Word of God. Compromise, here's what compromise is. You making up your own rules in order for you to justify your unclean living. Let me say it again. Compromise is you making up your own rules so that you might justify your own unclean living. Now, I told y'all this is gonna be tough. So y'all stick with me and we'll get through it together. Amen? Amen? Thank you. That's exactly where we find the people in Nehemiah chapter 13. They've decided to compromise on everything they said they would never compromise on. And they're trying to get as close to sin as they can possibly get. And when you find yourself in that position, rest assured you are heading for disaster and you will eventually embrace the sin that is causing you to compromise Today. So let's see very quickly in our outline. Notice number one, the command of the Father. The command of the Father. The problem that Nehemiah discovers here in verse 15 is just another example of the drift in the lives of these people. I've already touched on a couple of them, but it began by not separating. 
It then turned into embracing Tobiah there in the temple. And now it shows up because they are violating the Sabbath. They are buying and selling on the Sabbath day. And so what we're watching happen in in verses 15 through 22 is we're watching sin creep because that's what sin does. At the beginning of chapter 13, they embraced a little bit of sin, then a little bit more, then a little bit more. And as we get to the end of the chapter, they're going to embrace a little bit more. It's like the Arab that was in the desert that had his camel with him. He's walking through the desert. The sun goes down. It's nighttime and he sets up his tent. And during the night, a windstorm whips up and sand is blowing all over the place. And the camel says to the Arab on the inside of the temple, he says, hey, Do you mind if I stick my nose under the edge of the tent so that I can keep this sand from filling my nostrils? And the Arab says, that's fine, go ahead. A few minutes later, the camel says, listen, if you would help me, I'd like to put my head just a little farther in and cover my eyes up so that the sand don't beat into my eyes. The Arab says, okay. Wasn't very long later, he says, you mind if I put the rest of my head inside so that I can get my ears clear from all of the sand that is blowing out here? He says, yes, go ahead. The next morning, the Arab wakes up. He's on the outside of the tent and the camel is on the inside of the tent. That's exactly how sin works. When you let just a little bit in, a little bit more will come in. You let a little bit more in, a little bit more will come in. We see that by example through the scriptures when when it speaks of leprosy. It starts very small, but then it will eventually completely take over. These people are living in direct violation of the word of God. There's been a clear command given to Moses there on Mount Sinai some 1,000 years earlier, and they knew this was the command. It's in Exodus chapter 20. And it says this, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work nor thy son, thy daughter, thy manservant, maidservant, cattle, or thy stranger within thy gates. For six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. And so here's where we, here's where we were last week. God had given them a clear command to separate, and they didn't do it. Here they've been given a clear command to not violate the Sabbath. Don't buy and sell on the Sabbath. Do you have any questions about that? It's not like this commandment of God was up for interpretation. I mean, I love how people try to twist the Bible into what they, what they really want it to be. Because you can take a verse here and a verse there and make the Bible say anything you want it to say. And those people that do that, you know what they're doing? They're compromising because they want to justify their own sin. And that's exactly what these folks are doing. But, but they're not even trying to justify their sin. They've just embraced it. There's a command from the Father. Secondly, there's the covenant they forsook. You'll remember this covenant. We touched on it last week, and Pastor Hayden preached an entire message on it. But in chapter 10, in the middle of this great revival, they came together and they committed to living a life that was in complete submission to the commands of God. And here we are three chapters later, they have forgotten every one of those covenants. They even came together and signed a document that said, this list of things right here, We're not going to do them. This is the list right here. We are not going to do these things. And three chapters later, drift has set in. 
compromise has set in. Here's what they said. We're going to bring our tithes to the storehouse. They didn't do it. We're going to obey the statutes of God. They didn't do it. We are not going to marry unbelievers. We are not going to marry pagans. You're going to find out next week. They did it. We will stop buying and selling on the Sabbath. We will not do it anymore. And they signed a covenant that they're not going to do any of these things. And every single one of them in chapter 13, they're doing. And before we throw rocks at them, we've all been guilty of that before as well, where we've made some commitment that, Lord, I'm not going here again. I'm not going to do this again. And it ain't very long. You find yourself embracing that same sin. Nehemiah in chapter 10 and verse 31 says to them, if the people of the land bring wear of any victuals on the Sabbath day to sell, that we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath or the holy day, that we would leave the seventh year and the exaction of every death. We'll never do it, Nehemiah. You be careful what you say you'll never do. Somebody else is caught up in some sin and you, 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 you get holy roller mentality and you say, man, I could never do that. Watch out, you are a prime candidate. Nehemiah comes back and he finds them in complete disobedience. They're buying and selling on the Sabbath. They're in direct violation of the commands of the sovereign and the covenant that they signed. A couple of things about this sin. Number one, it was a public sin. The profaning of the Sabbath, all of this happening, is not a secret sin. It's happening right out in the open. It seems to me if they're advertising their sin publicly, they didn't have much shame in their game. Remember when you used to worry about your testimony? You, you, you didn't worry about the weaker brother stumbling. You, you, you concerned yourself about your testimony. But you've decided that now you, you, you're so spiritual now, you don't have to worry about causing your weaker brother to stumble. You say, what, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, let me just pick one. Can I pick one? Can I pick one? It ain't going to be real popular, but I'll just pick one. You used to not touch alcohol because you was concerned about your weaker brother stumbling. And so you abstained from it because you didn't want to have an influence on somebody else who might not be able to handle that. You used to think that. But now you've convinced yourself after, your, after a deep study of the scripture and understanding what strong drink really is, you've convinced yourself somehow you can handle it as long as you don't get drunk. Right, well, the same Bible that gives you freedom is the same Bible that tells you not to cause your weaker brother to stumble. So what are you doing? You're trying to take the Bible to justify something you want to do. I told y'all this wasn't going to be fun. <laughs> Okay, it was a public sin. What happened? Compromise. Never have I seen a day when people are more proud of their sin than the day in which we live today. Public sin. It wasn't just public sin, it was a popular sin. What you're gonna find out is it wasn't just a few people that embraced this. A bunch of them did. It had become pretty popular with the entire crowd. And what was happening is their compromise was having an impact on all of these foreigners who were pagans that didn't know God, 
who were coming there to buy and sell, and they're watching God's people act like sinners. They're watching God's people just act just like they do. What kind of impact do you think they were having on these pagan nations? None whatsoever for the cause of Christ because they just embraced the same thing that they did. It was a popular sin. And the Lord's day had just become another day in the life of the people. Nehemiah, I promise, in chapter 13, just like I feel this morning, Nehemiah is probably not the most popular person in Jerusalem at the moment. Because he's about, he, he, he's about to let them know what time it is. There's the command of the Father. There's the covenant they forsook. Then he has, there's the contention with the forgetful. How many of you have ever been on an airplane in the last couple of years? You go through and they say, if you see something, good, thank you. If you see something, say something, right? In verse 15, look right here. In those days, Saul, I and Judah. Nehemiah saw something. Look at verse 17. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and what? Said something. So he saw something. He's going to say something. And he's not going to let this sin just slide. First of all, there's a personal rebuke. Verse 17. He says, then I contended with who? The nobles of Judah. Do you know who that is? That's the influential people. That's the people that could have a direct impact on his life. These are the nobles. He said, what evil thing is this that you do and profane the Sabbath day? Nehemiah's not interested in serving up a sugar stick to these folks. He wanted to confront them in their sin. He wanted to address it head on. He wasn't going to tiptoe through the tithers. He was just going to say what God said and confront them with their sin. God give us preachers today. We wonder why this culture in this country has gone in the direction that it's gone. I would submit to you that part of the reason is because we got a bunch of mama called preachers with no backbone that will stand up and say what the people want to hear rather than what God has said and call sin, sin and say, this is what the book says, like it or lump it. It's just what God said. And we're going to stand on the book, come what may. And we call, you say, well, pastor, if you, if you preach like that, you can't build a crowd. I'm not interested in building a crowd. I'm interested in building a church for the cause of Christ that can be a light in a community that there's something different between those who claim to know Jesus and those who are out there in the community that we don't act the same way that they act. We don't embrace the same things that they embrace. We don't do the same things they do. We don't say the same things they do. God, give us some folks that would just stand up and call sin what it is and people that would just get honest before a holy God and say, I have fallen short. Lord, would you give me wisdom not to fall short again? I'm gonna walk with you come what may. Man, there was a personal rebuke. But there's a powerful reminder. Listen to what he says in verse 18. Did not your fathers thus and did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet you bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Here's what he says. I'll give you this real quickly. Do y'all see what happened? Here's what he's saying. 
Y'all went into 70 years of captivity over in Babylon. The city of Jerusalem was absolutely destroyed. And you lived hard lives for 70 years. Do you know why that happened? Because your daddies and your granddaddies did the same thing you're doing right now. Did y'all not learn from the previous generation that if we embrace this, there's going to be judgment from God? Hey, dads, moms, it makes a difference how we walk. It makes a difference how we talk because there's another generation that's following in our footsteps. God help us to be people of conviction and compassion at the same time. Nehemiah said, you're just following in the same mess that your papa and your grandpapa did. There's probably some folks in here today that say, you know what? I want the cycle of sin in my family to stop with me. And I'm asking you, Lord, to let all of that mess that, that has, that has wreaked, wrecked my family and wreaked havoc inside of my family for all these years, Lord, let it stop with me. Let it stop with this generation. Because Nehemiah says, it's, you, you're just doing the same thing that was going on before. You can read about it. In Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah looked at these guys that we're talking to now, the same guys that Nehemiah is talking to. Jeremiah talked to their daddies and their granddaddies and said, do not violate the Sabbath, and they did it. And then Nehemiah stood up and said, do not violate the Sabbath, <laughs> and they did it. So Nehemiah, he's, he's, he saw something, so he's going to say something. There's the command of the Father, the covenant they forsook. There's the contention with the forgetful. And then let me give you this real quickly. There's the closing of the fence. Verse 19, Nehemiah says, these folks were coming and buying and selling and we were buying and selling on the Sabbath. So I just shut the gate so none of that could take place. Do you know what the best thing for you to do if you've begun to embrace some kind of sin and you've begun to compromise on something? is to do something concrete to put a stop to it. Nehemiah shut the, shut the gate, said, no, we're not doing this anymore. We're not doing this anymore. For some people, there's some stuff you need to pour out and just say, I ain't doing this anymore. It's causing me and wreaking havoc inside of my soul and inside of my life and inside of my family. For some people, you need to take your phone and go to the store and turn it in for a flip phone because you can't handle all the stuff that's available to you on that phone. That would be something concrete that you can do to show that I'm serious about not falling into this same temptation over and over and over and over again. Do something concrete today. What is it God has put his finger on? He says, you know what? That preacher's talking right to you. And he's put his finger right on whatever it is in your life. And you need to do something concrete today to deal with it. Nehemiah did so. He said, we shutting the gate. We ain't opening the gate anymore. On the Sabbath, it's shut down. Notice the problem he addressed. Not only has he shut the gates, but he's fully aware that the people, here's what they did. Here's what they did. Man, these people. He shut the gates. The pagans are coming from the outside to sell. Do you know what the people from Jerusalem on the inside did? They moved as close to the wall as they could get. 
They tried to get as close to those folks on the outside that were going to sell on the Sabbath as they possibly could. And Nehemiah wanted to put a stop to the temptation. And by shutting the gates, he thought, I'll put a stop to it. And then the people just tried to get as close to him as they possibly could. And he's trying to address this problem. James Montgomery Boy said it this way. Nehemiah didn't even want temptation hanging around. There's some things you ought to get rid of so that temptation doesn't hang around. There's the problem he addressed. There's the promise he announced. We saw that just a minute ago in verse 21. Here was his promise. He says, why lodge you about the wall? If you do so again, I'll lay hands on you. From that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. This wasn't just a word of advice from Nehemiah. This was a powerful promise. Why would Nehemiah be so tough on these folks? Why would he confront them with their sin? Why would he passionately say, why are you doing this evil thing? Why would he do all of that? Because he enjoyed picking on people? No. He dearly loved these folks. And he wanted to see them living lives in accordance to the commands of God that they might have an impact on the pagans that were on the outside of the city. You see, you may be here today and you've begun that slow slide of compromise. And you've begun to allow some things in your life, but you, you got it under control right now, whatever those things might be. And you, you, you're just sliding a little bit at a time. And God's put his finger on that in your life. I'd say today would be the day to go ahead and say, Lord, <laughs> I'm putting a stop to this today. Today. Because I'm trying to hide it so that nobody else finds out about it. It's driving me crazy. It's wreaking havoc inside of my marriage. It's wreaking havoc inside of my family. It's wreaking havoc for me at work. And I gotta, I gotta put a stop to this today. Whatever it is he's put his finger on, do something concrete today. But maybe begin by falling in an altar and saying, Lord, would you be my strength? Lord, I know what it is you've put directly on my soul that I need to deal with today. And so Lord, if you'll be my strength, I wanna walk in your strength to set this thing aside. It's causing me to compromise. Cause me to change my opinion about a lot of things because I'm embracing this one thing. There was a queen that was interviewing some chariot drivers. There were three chariot drivers that were going to interview for the position. And she brought the first one in and she asked him a question. She said, if your queen was on the chariot and you were driving, there's a very familiar curve in the town that everybody would know. There was a dangerous overpass 
for those chariots. She said, if your queen was on board the chariot and you were driving, how, how close to that edge could you come and the queen feel no danger? He said, oh, queen, let me tell you. He said, I could get you a quarter of an inch from that edge and you would never feel danger. Well, the second guy that was interviewing was listening at the door. She brought him in, asked him the same question. He poked his chest out and he said, my queen, if you were in the chariot and we were going around that curve, I could get you an eighth of an inch close to it and you would never feel danger. She brought the third guy in. He had been listening to all of this. She said, I want to ask you the same question I asked the other two. If we were going across this curve and this overpass, how close to the edge could you get the queen and the queen feel safe? He said, my queen, to be honest with you, what I would do is keep you as far away from that edge as I could possibly keep you so that the queen would be in no danger. As a matter of fact, my wheels might even rub up against the inside of the wall in order to keep my queen from the fall. When we begin to allow ourselves to get as close to the world as we can possibly get, we are headed for a fall. And today, let's stop the drift. And let's acknowledge the compromise and ask God to give us strength, to be our strength in the days ahead. I told you last week, I've been pastoring for a while now, and I know when you preach a message about compromise, the altars typically don't flood because everybody will think, you know what? They're going to think I got stuff in my life. Well, welcome to the club. We all got stuff in our life. Amen. It could be you need to fall on an altar and say, Lord, here's what it is. And I'm going to do something concrete today to put a stop to this compromise that is in my life. Fall on the altar and just ask God to be your strength. Secondly, maybe you need to come to the altar and say, Lord, I'm not dealing with anything right now that I'm aware of. But Lord, when temptation comes my way, would you give me the strength and the discernment and the wisdom to stay away from it that I might walk close and clean with you on a daily basis? could be you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Here's what I want you to know. There was a fellow by the name of Adam that came. And Adam and Eve were told, you can have everything in the garden except that one tree. You can have it all except that one tree. What did Adam do? What did Adam and Eve do? They went to that one tree they weren't supposed to touch. And when they did, sin entered into the world. And if you had been Adam and I had been Adam, guess what? We would have done the same thing. And that sin nature was passed down to you all the way from your great, 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 great grandfather Adam. You inherited a sin nature. You know how I know you inherited a sin nature? Because nobody had to teach you how to lie. Your parents had to teach you how to do what? Tell the truth. Nobody had to teach you how to steal. When you was a little boy and you was in the store and you wanted some baseball cards and your mama told you no, you already knew how to pick them up and put them in your pocket and hide them and make sure nobody knew about it. Nobody had to teach you how to do that. 
You, you was born knowing how to do that. Right? So we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God is what the Bible says. It also says that the wages of that sin is death. So because of our sin, we deserve to die. And that word die in the scripture there means to be separated from Jesus forever in a place called hell. That's what we deserve because we're sinners. But if we were gonna make it to heaven, there had to be a perfect sacrifice. So God the Father over in heaven sent God the Son, his name is Jesus. And he came and he lived a perfect life. He lived a life that you and I could never live, but he did. And after living a perfect life, they took him and they put him on a cross of Calvary and he died as a perfect sacrifice for you and for me. And they put him in a tomb, but three days later up from the grave, he arose. He's alive and he's alive forevermore. And he says, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost because our sin is what causes us to be lost. But our perfect sacrifice, Jesus said, I'm coming looking for you. And it may be that you're here today and you've never been saved by God's grace. You don't know that when you leave this life, you're headed to heaven. I don't want you to leave out of here not knowing where your eternity lies. Jesus loves you, died for you, and says, I want to save you. You say, now how will he save me? Well, there's two pieces to it. Number one is repentance. You say, well, what is repentance? It's just having a change of mind and a change of direction. Before you get saved, you do everything you want to do. You fulfill all the lusts of the flesh. You do what you want to do because you're in charge of your life. But repentance means to change my mind and to change my direction. I'm changing my mind about some things and I'm gonna start walking in the direction that the Lord wants me to walk. And my life's gonna change because he's gonna be Lord of my life. He's gonna be in charge now, not me. That's repentance. And then it's by faith. So through repentance and faith, faith just says, Lord, I'm taking you at your word. I'm believing that this is true and I'm putting my faith and trust in you to save my soul. Isn't that wonderful? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, I'm gonna ask you in just a moment. Pastor Phil will be here, I will be here. Pastor Hayden, Pastor Colin will be up here at the front. You just come forward if you're unsaved and say, Pastor, I need to be saved. We would love to take the Word of God and show you how you can leave today knowing heaven is your home. And it could be that you're saved, but man, compromise has begun to set in. And you've allowed some things in your life that you never imagined that you would. And God's put his finger on it today. As we stand to our feet, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that during this invitation, you would have your will and have your way. God, if you put your finger on things in our life, I pray today we would deal with them. Lord, there may be some that need to come and do business with you to just say, Lord, when temptation does come my way, you be my strength, my wisdom, my discernment to not give in. And then, Lord, for those that might be here today unsaved, I pray, God, they'd make their calling and election sure. Lord, they would surrender to you today through repentance and faith. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You come as we sing. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Preaching Ministry Podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.